Hello and welcome to the Rogue Monkey Podcast. We've reached the finale to Season 7 and again we're heading abroad to join our guest today. Just before we get into that, we've got some exciting news to share with you as we've got some new people who have joined our podcast team as we've continued to grow and develop in recent months. And you'll see and hear more from both Luke and Carter in the coming weeks, but for now, a huge welcome to them and thank you for the support thus far. Now, on to today, and we are speaking to some swimming legends. Our guest athlete has four Olympic medals to his name, including a gold one during an infamous win over Michael Phelps at London 2012. We have a guest parent sitting alongside him and is globally known as one of the most passionate and honest sporting parents you'll ever come across. Across our conversation today, we cover a wide range of topics, including where it all started, how they've managed expectations, the wider impact of sport in their society, and unravel the journey to becoming Olympic champion. So, without further ado, let's get into one of our favourite episodes across our 56 shows we've produced so far. Chad and Bert LeClos, exploring the journey to becoming Olympic champion from both the athletes' and parents' perspectives. Hello, gents. How are you both doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, Kev. Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks for sharing some time with us today. It's really exciting, you know, kind of follow both your journeys in recent years. But if you can give our listeners and our viewers just an introduction as to who you are and kind of your headline journey so far. Well, I'm, I'm Bert and I'm, I'm lucky enough to be Chad Bertrand's father. Um, look, you know what happened in London. That's how I became. That's why I'm on this podcast because of him, actually. You know, so I'm part of his. I'm, I'm the Laurel or the Hardy of the of the Laurel and Hardy, if you know what I mean. Or the, or the Terence Hill and Bud Spencer for the older ones that know. I'm, I'm the I'm the Bud Spencer. He's the Terence Hill, the good-looking one. <laughs> I'm Chad, and I'm lucky enough to be Bert Leclerc's son. <laughs> that's my introduction. <laughs> Well, I've given our audience a bit of an introduction for anyone who's not from the swimming world, but I guess that what we're going to explore today is, I guess, a journey that you've both been on across, you know, a few decades now, and it's it's had its highs and its lows. And I just wondered if, to start us off with, if you can pick out any particularly memorable moments when you look back as father and son that have stuck with you on this journey. Should I go first? Look, you know what? Unfortunately, or fortunately, it's it's we've had many, many moments in the last. 20 years, never mind, from since he was playing soccer as a small little boy, you know, football, as you people call it. But obviously, you know, it's very difficult for anybody to, to, to place a higher sort of value than London 200 fly meeting Phelps. You know? So that question is like, it, there's many, many, I mean, there's, there's been many, you know, many, many, many times where I felt higher than the top of the world, you know. So for me, anyway, there's been many, but obviously... London was phenomenal, you know. It was unbelievable, really and truly, you know. So, I you have to say you have to say London, you know. But there's been many, many, many highs and very few lows. There's been a few lows, obviously, like human beings, you know. We few lows along the way, but mostly highs, mostly highs. Yeah, I think the same. I think like for me, obviously, London is the highlight. But I think the the one that sticks out is obviously my dad was always there and both my mom and dad were always there for every competition that I was there at. So there was a lot of, there is a lot of memories to, you know, I could think of the top of my head. I mean, even cheese strings, you know, 2005, my dad was running around and, and you know, in England, Sheffield, renting, I remember driving a Skoda. The first time we ever heard of that car. Skoda was it? Skoda, Skoda, Skoda. The first time yeah. I ever heard of 
for driving me on the freeway. My dad's telling me how these English drivers are so much better than South Africans. They let you they give you a gap and they let you drive and you're driving for hours and hours on the highway. So there's a lot of there's a lot of memories over the years that we have together. But obviously, the, you know, the, the memorable ones of me, and my dad, and my family are obviously at the big competitions in the Commonwealth Games, the World Championships, the Olympics. You know, 2010, World, my first World Championships. That was a big one for us. You know, in Dubai. So sure, many many memories. <laughs> I think something that jumps out for me of watching interviews for both of you over the years, you're very values driven. So it's a lot about, you know, being a good person, enjoying the experience, you know, being a good role model, all those sorts of things. So how, how is that kind of from your perspective, having got lived that journey yourself? Well, can I say, can I, can I say, answer that first? Can I answer that? You know, BBC, where they, they came to my house to interview me and do a little, some kind of program, whatever, you know, document, uh, documentary. And they asked me after I'd had a few glasses of wine and was partying at my house with my family. And they asked me at the end of the party, what was I most proud of, you know, about Chad? And I, and I said, the one thing I'm most proud of is that he's the, the way he treats the small people. And that's, that's a big thing for me, you know. How you treat Michael Phelps or how you treat Chad LeClaire, I don't care. You understand? It's how you treat the little battler along the way the guy that's battling along or the guy that's battling to swim or the guy that doesn't have much money, you know, not the famous people. How you treat David Beckham, I don't care. Because David Beckham's got everything. Chandler Close hasn't got everything, but he's got most things. He doesn't need to be treated properly. You know, it's the small people that need to be treated properly. And Chad does that magnificently. Treat the small people. And that, and I'm, he's in front of me, I'm telling you, that's what I'm most proud about. You know, gold medals come and go. Gold medals come and go. Looks fade. Uh, hair goes. Uh, you know everything body goes and and that doesn't go you know that is part of what you your you know your 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 upbringing your your way your character you know that's for me you know but anyway that's that's what i'm most proud about you know about chad what about you chad <laughs> you forgot the question no i didn't <laughs> no, <I'm> just... <laughs> um, yeah we should get my dad a talk show i think eh? he can talk he can talk <laughs> Um, no, I think, you know, like for me, um, you know, my dad, kind of what my dad touched on there, you know, like he, uh, he obviously, like not many people know, but he feeds the hungry every year on the 24th. Oh, December. let's not talk about that. Thanks. So he's been doing that for like 35, 40 years, like even before we were around, you know, so, you know, through money, through no money, through whatever, like every year we feed the hungry on the 24th of December, you know, so that just shows uh, the kind of man my dad is and, my, and the family that I come from, you know, that, that's, that doesn't, that never came from me, you know what I'm saying? So that's something that we've we've always done, you know, coming back to, to you know, the underprivileged people, you know, and that wasn't for, you know, no one knows that because it's not something I talk about, you know, because it's not meant to go for the papers or whatever. It's for uh, the understanding. And you know, I tell, you know, close group people that I'm talking to now about stuff like that because it's it's a very special thing to do that my dad does every year you know, well, and continues to do, you know, it's something that it's not about, you know what I mean? I'm just going to say this. When, you know, this is for anybody, this is for parents, for children, for, for you, for me, for people, Chad. When you do something nice for somebody, whether you're helping them swimming or stroke, whatever you're doing for them, if you're helping them with a little bit of money or, or gear or whatever, food, do it for yourself. I can assure you, when you finish doing something nice for somebody underprivileged, I promise you, don't do it for them. Don't do it for them. Do it for yourself. It makes you feel so much more worthwhile. And I took my kids and my take now I take my grandkids with me. Now with this COVID, we haven't we haven't done it this last year. 
But normally I take my grandkids, whoever's here with me, and I take them to show them so that they know that, that some people don't have food on the table and they sleep in the streets, you know, and they must realize that they are privileged, you know, and that's, that's what life's about, you know. And that's, anyway, that's why I do it, not because I do it for myself, not for them. I don't do it for, for, the, for the people, I do it for myself. That's who I like to put it. Before I move on, because I've got quite a few questions from listeners come in, I guess... And I didn't preview on this one, but actually the, the the foundation and the academy that you've kind of been involved in over the last year or so, that kind of has that at its absolute core when you look into it, this absolute giving back, wanting to do something that's going to leave a legacy for people that are the next generation, whether it's of swimmers or local communities or whatever it is. So it kind of feels like your philosophy as people has kind of shaped a legacy, if you like. Yes, well, well just I can answer just the one, the one part of the question is the, the academy is, is not open any longer because there was a water shortage a year, two years ago. It was He was training. I mean, the world champion, Olympic champion, was training in, in I don't know how you can see that, this much of water, in a meter of water, where in, at the gym, the, the line ropes were in the air, like a volleyball, you know, a net. It was in the air. He couldn't even do tumble turns, to touch and go. He did that for I don't know how many months before world champs. And... And then, of course, the COVID came. So that hit devastating. It was devastating. There was no place to train. So the academy, we had to close for the time being. And, you know, maybe it's a good thing in the long run because it's still Olympic year and there's still other things that Chad wants to do, you know. And with the foundation, well, Chad can tell you what he wants to do. That's his baby. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it's more the same thing. It's kind of moved into one big thing now because of the foundation, you know, we've, we've tried to raise money for the, you know, for things that we want to do in swimming and outside of swimming, especially in the communities in, around South Africa, but also, you know, give the opportunity to other kids that maybe can't afford to do certain things that travel overseas, race, you know, up and coming youngsters. So, you know, we have some plans, you know, we have a, we have a you know, two, three year plan for what we want to do with once we've raised enough. So that's just something that I've always wanted to do. It's nothing, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just something, it's a passion. It's a passion project of mine and my dad's and my family more than anything. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to move on to the listener questions because we've got quite a few that have come in. So the first one is from Michelle and asked about has kind of your uh, positive and fun outlook on life kind of been something that's been the whole part of your journey. And she referenced an April Fool's joke you played a few years ago about becoming a triathlete. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, we we're actually talking about it earlier. I've done a few over the years. Uh, yeah, that was just that was during the Commonwealth Games in Australia. We did that. We met. We messed around because, um, to be fair, it was actually Bronwyn, one of the ladies, uh, the media ladies. We were discussing something to do, and then when I suggested that, it sounded a bit too far-fetched. And then she said, "Well, let's word it in a way that I'm racing the triathlon at this Commonwealth Games in like ten days' time because we're obviously in Oz a week or two early." So uh, yeah, we, we make a lot of jokes for sure. I mean, we've done some April Fool's jokes or marriage proposals with my girlfriend and stuff like Got that. Got into big trouble. Got in big trouble with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of things. Absolutely. But have fun. But a lot you're gonna say a lot of things that I guess the public have seen, whether it's you know, you at the the ISL or whatever it is, you come across as somebody who really enjoys what they do, and obviously that kind of is embodied, I guess, by your entire family. That actually this is a journey, not just to chase a particular goal or an outcome, but actually you enjoy yourself, have fun, you know, it's a lots of fun experiences along the way. Absolutely. I think look it is also about you know, there's not, there's not necessarily an end to it, you know, which I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeking. 
it's definitely the journey, but I think at the end of the day, I, I try to bring as many people in it as possible. You know, I think even, you know, you mentioned my family, of course, they've, they've been with me from day one. That just goes without saying, but, you know, I, I represent a lot more than that, you know, like a, a lot of the support that I have, not just in South Africa, but globally is I try to like make the, the people that support me feel a part of my journey, you know, and that gives me that, that extra rush that I need because I know when I'm racing, like I know a lot of people are watching me. It started off always, you know, back in cheese strings, nothing far. It started off with my family watching me, you know what I mean? And that's a huge 150, 200 people that are glued into the TV, have no idea about swimming, want to see me win, you know what I mean? So now I know I carry, you know, however many people it is, I don't know how many people it is, but I know that I represent a, much more people than that going forward. And, uh, you know, back then it was a huge honor. And today you can understand how, how huge that is for me. So I hope that I can keep going for a long time and I hope that I can con continue to win and, and hopefully win another Olympics somewhere along the line and, and, and more Commonwealth Games and world titles. But, you know, there's still, there's still a lot more that I hope that I can, I can still achieve. You know, it's not just, um, you know, I'm not just hanging around here, you know, hopefully just sitting around and seeing what happens. Like I, I do have goals that I want to achieve. I do have strong visions that I, that I believe I'll still get to one day again, hopefully. And our family, none of us know how to swim properly. Our family is the least of swimming family you've ever seen in your life. Huge family, nobody swims. We all play football, we all play rugby, tennis, whatever, whatever, whatever. Nobody swims. Now they've all got invested interest. You'll never believe it. They are glued to the TV, you know, and, and whenever they can, they can watch. When, when there's nationals here in Durban, we have, he has more people there coming to watch him than, anybody, than all of them combined with their T-shirts on, go chat or whatever, you know? Like P.T. sort of has in England. Yeah. P.T. has a bit of a big following, you know? Yeah. That's fantastic. And that, it jumps on to the next one, I guess, that, a really question for you both. There's a real challenge that most parents have when they're on this sports journey of finding the balance between being supportive and so that the young athlete feels like they're getting that support from their parents but without putting too much pressure on them so how have you juggled that as you've gone along and I'd be interested in kind of your responses from the swimmer and the parent point of view yes look um look I I'm going to tell you like I just said earlier that I, my family I don't even know how to swim properly you know they once said to me how do you swim I said I swim like a stone I go straight down like, and I can't even make one length you know I can just survive with a bit of doggy paddle but anyway so I've had to learn along the way. And as in the last 18 years, from when he was 10 years old, I've had to, I learned from other people's mistakes. So I, I saw parents pushing kids. I saw parents training kids over and above. I saw kids doing, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Uh, I know it's going to be a bit of a long answer, but especially for the parents out there, is that how can you take a 10-year-old or 11 or 12 or 13-year-old kid and do the same sets as P.T. or Chad Clow or James Gar. If your son or your daughter was a rugby player, would he make him tackle the beast? I don't know if you know the beast. You understand? Johnny Wilkinson, for instance, he wouldn't tackle him. You understand? You would say, oh, no, 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 my boy must stay in his age group. I don't want him to get, to get injured, to get this, to get that. So there's a system, or if you're playing football, you wouldn't say, all right, he's a brilliant footballer. Let me put him straight into the reserve team of the, of the Open because they'll kick him to pieces. Do you understand? But yet in the swimming, and you know this, that parents and coaches sometimes, they, they, they train their kids. They're, they're superstars. And we'll get to that when it comes to cheese strings just now about that, where Chad finished at the cheese strings and where he finished now. 
But anyway, so that's that's my take on it. So in a, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, is that you, you have to learn by other people's mistakes, and you cannot be this pighead, especially especially even if you know the game, because you're always learning. You see, and especially with young kids, you must make sure that you don't overtrain them. That's the bottom line for me. And I've seen kids over the last 18 years that positively stop swimming now because they were overtrained, especially in this country. So I don't know how it is in England. I can't speak for elsewhere. I can speak for this country. Very few people go past 21. Very few swimmers. Very few. And what does that speak? You've got a big, strong country and nobody goes past the age. Why is that? Must be some problem with the training. And I asked an English coach, actually, why is the coaching so different internationally as it in South Africa? And his answer to me was, they're dinosaurs. So I rest my case thereafter. You have to move with the times, you know. What about you, Chad? What's been your kind of experience of the parents' support on this journey? Yeah, honestly, guys, I can't say it any better than my dad that he nailed every point there. I think the, the one thing I can just leave you with a simplified answer is I, you'd, rather, you'd rather have your kid be undertrained than overtrained. That's for sure. Simple as that. So, you know, if you think your kid's doing too much, he probably is. And I think, you know, when you're young, you just have to enjoy it. You know, I enjoyed my sport because I didn't have any pressure from anybody. You know, my dad, of course, guided me. He wanted me to do well and stuff. But like, it wasn't the end of the world if I didn't do well. Some parents and, and kids are world champions at 11 years old. I've never heard of that. They're specializing at turn and fly at 12 <laughs> years old. Man, I never swam butterfly until I was 16. Before, three years, four years before London Olympics, I couldn't, I've never done a turn and fly in my life. So I don't understand how people are specializing. They say they have breaststrokes at 13, 14, 15 even. When I was 15, I was the best in a breaststroke in the country. You know what I mean? So like, I don't understand how people can specialize from such young ages. You have to swim everything. Enjoy yourself, you know, and, and sure, maybe you gear towards swimming, you know, distance or you gear towards sprint. But like, I've seen many cases where you have kids that are swimming, you know, let's just say, um, you know, shorter distances at the younger uh, or longer distance as the younger and then vice versa when they get to my age or maybe not my age, a little bit younger, early 20s, they, uh, you know, they, they, they flip, you know, you're swimming 100 backstroke instead of the, the 400 free. How, how does that work, you know? Because it's because you swim everything and, you know, you find your niche later on, so. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. It's, cra- it's, it's crazy. Patience. Yes. Patience yeah. is the word. And, and one thing for the families out there, especially the fathers, the, the, you know, the ones that said, oh, they're worried about little Harry down the road. It was Harry. You used to beat Harry, Bert. Now, now Harry's beating you. What are they doing? And we'll get back to these things just now. Then the cheese strings result when he was there. You know, and then we'll, we are, I, will, I will prove to you black and white how, how, how the touts change. Because he was 13 at the time. He was swimming uh, 14 and under. And he made two, four finals over the 10 days, the two weekends. He made four finals. He finished second to last and last in the two races. I got back and I said to, I said to Graham Hill at the time, he was Chad's coach. I said, what the blinking hell did you send me to this kid, you told me he's a good sort. He said, Bert, how big were the guys? How muscular were the guys? How, we, how much training do you think they were doing? That's what his answer was. And then, of course, three years down the line, he was only 16, and he went to the junior Commonwealth. He was not only swimming with the, with the English and all the other rest of the Europeans and the Commonwealth people. They were swimming with his age group of 16, 17, who made it, good enough, and the 18 and under, five medals. And he swam a little bikini costume with a speedo, and the other ones had a full costume. And I refused to get him. 
I, refu- I want this to, people to hear this. I refused to buy him or anybody to give him that full cost ship until he was needing it. And that when he needed, he was 16 to make the world championship. I bought him at the gala. I bought it for him. He qualified. He went 156A. I went 4.17. No, no, what, what did you call it? You qualified for 200? For, for, no, no, for a million. For Worlds? Yeah. Oh, I missed the two. Okay, sorry. So then he qualified for that. He qualified the, the, that. And after that, the, the, the shoot was 2008 or 2009. After that, the shoot was finished. There was no more shoots. But I bought it for that day because he needed it and he qualified. And because when I was young, I used other people's experience too. I see, especially rich people, especially like with tennis and soccer, they buy the most expensive boots they couldn't even lace some of the other kids boots and they were getting in the team because of money and people they buy new rackets there was a, a friend of church who bought a new racket every week every other week the top of the range he couldn't even play you know let the guy battle it out first and when he gets better and better you award him things so that he knows that by him trying harder he will get better but if he just give, given a 10 years old the full suits and whatever whatever that cost a fortune some of them are not going to succeed, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's some <clears throat> something for a lot of parents out there to hear that actually one of the talks that I give talks about cherries on top of the cake and actually the cake isn't the racing suit or the expensive racket or whatever it is, you know, it's the last little bit that you pop on and actually yes. it's, you, you want that have that last little bit to pop on, not everything's placed on you're going to get this suit at 12, 13 or whatever yes. it is because then there's the pressure. Yes, and then there's nothing to look, nothing to change up to. So if you, if you as a 13 year old, if you're a 13 year old, you're doing, just say you're doing seven and a half k's or five k's a session, whatever, whatever, whatever the numbers are. I'm not swimming coaching. If you're doing five k's a session and you're 12 or 13 years old, what are you going to move to? It's taking you five hours a day. What are you going to move to? Ten hours a day, twenty hours a day. <laughs> I mean, where do you step it up? That's what people don't understand. You know, it's, that's parents. It's not kids. That's parents. Indeed. Um, right. My next question is from a guy called Tom, and he asked about mental preparation for races. And that, this question comes in two parts because, Chad, I'm curious, one, how do you deal with standing up at an Olympic final, for example? But then question number two that links into that is, Bert, how do you sit in the gallery and deal with that? So, Chad, first, what's it? how do you yeah, mentally Chad. prepare for a race? No, I think it's, you know, over the years, honestly, you, you, still, you still get the butterflies. You know, I still get a little nervous for every race. I actually get more nervous for the smaller races, to be honest with you. Like nationals in two weeks, I get to be more nervous because I'm racing guys that are youngsters and, you know, nipping at my toes. And it's like, I don't know, I just feel like there's more pressure there. Uh, the Worlds, I mean, the Olympics, obviously, you know, there's, it's, it's occasional pressure. So it's the pressure you put in yourself, you know, which is obviously high. But it's also, you know, let's just say where you see it. So if you like a heavy favorite, you're going in there and it's blah, blah, blah. There'll probably always be a little more pressure on you than if you're a little bit of an underdog, you know. But generally, I always feel like I, I can try and win the race or try and, you know, I'm always looking to place in the race. So it's always, I always feel that, that expectation, should I say, on my shoulders before I race. And I just, I deal with it by, you know, not thinking too much about the outcome, but more the process. So maybe not focusing too much on my times or anything, but just focusing on who am I next to? How am I going to race them? What's my game plan for the race going to be? Is there a game plan? Maybe I just dive in and race and go and freestyle it, you know, which I usually do. But if there's a specific game plan, you know, just focus on, focus on one step at a time, 150 at a time. And that's what kind of gets me through 
you know, uh, the bigger races, you know, I don't necessarily think too much ahead because I can also drive a man crazy. You know, if you think too much about in one hour's time, I could be an Olympic champion. You know, it's like, you, know, you can't think like that. You got to get on the block. You got to be like, you know, I got me like, I got Seto, I got all these boys, you know, <laughs> you just got to go and race, you know? So at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. You know, you're going to, you're going to, I'm always going to do my best. So, you know, if you get beat, you get beat. What can you do? You know, it doesn't, you're going to fight to the end. That's the most important thing. If you fight to the end and you put your head down at the finish and you, and you, and you give everything you have, then whoever beats you, beats you. You know, what, what can you do? There's nothing you can do there. So, yeah. And I guess for you, Bert, that must be, that, for you, Bert, that must be kind of a, a timeline because let's say the Olympics, usually you know a good four, six, eight, 12 weeks out that you're going or your son is going. Yes. So what is, uh, one of the questions that came in from Rosie was, well, how do you then get your head in gear to manage yourself through that because obviously you're at the games you're excited like Chad said yes. you've been, been there on the whole journey so how do you deal with that well look to be honest with you you know at, at the end of the day I have kids and grandkids and you know for me I have four champions and four champion grandkids and I know he's got the title of, of champions but I treat my, all my kids the same and I have the same pressure for all my kids to do well if I go see my grandson or my, my other son Jordan doing the jujitsu that he does I just want, if, if at the end of the race, I'm absolutely, if you look at my face, I want to jump off, jump off the building, you know, before the race. And after the race, if Chad's happy or Jordan's happy, it's all about their happiness, if you know what I mean. You know, if he's happy and it's a silver medal, it's a bronze medal, it's a PB, it's whatever. If he's happy, I'm happy. And, and the, the, the pressure comes... The pressure for me, the pressure comes more of, of is Chad going to be okay? If Chad's okay, or, or Jordan's okay, or, or whoever's okay, then then I'm okay. Then I, then I've got no pressure. If you know what I mean, that little bit of pressure that's that's normal. You know, the, I dive in with him. I, I swim every race. I, I I have to turn down because I know something. Most times the bloody cameras on me, so I've got to try and behave myself and I try not to swear or scream or shout or. Well, I can't help it. You know, I try my best, but I, I'm a bit mental. You know, I'm not very bright. I don't know. I can't. I can't control myself. You know, before when the when those races, because, like you say, it's you know, it's it's not about on the 21st of, of July next year. It's about what happened six months ago. You know, we it, it's a build-up. How do you go today, Chad? Every day, uh, even if he's overseas, how do you go? Would you go today? Oh, I went at 157. In a time trial, oh, I went 156. Oh, it was quite good for the time that I'm doing, or whatever. So that that builds up. And then, of course, when I sit with my mates or my family, I say, hey, you know what, today? And I report today. And that's my, and I sort of try to, whatever he tells me, it's not that I'm clever. It's just whatever he tells me. And I sort of, so that that builds pressure, as you say, you know, the four weeks or, or the months or two months beforehand, you know. If he's doing all right, look, at the end of the day, we spoke about it today on the way to training, because I went to training this morning. And I said, if you do if you do a PB, and whatever Mirak or Dressel or Seto or, or James Gar goes or P, oh, I don't care who you're swimming against, and he goes and he smashes the world record, well, bad luck. You've done it your best. You can't do better than your best, and that is the reality of, of the sport, you know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to cut that little clip and share that as far and wide as possible because yeah. that, it, it, that that summarizes it beautifully and it's such an important point I think for people to hear that sport is sport. Everyone yes. won't win and that's okay. Of course it's okay. Of course, it, look, of course it's okay. You know, it, it, it has to be okay 
because there's worse things that happen. And let's not, let's not go into those worst things that happen in life. And we all know it. It happens, you know. And by the way, another thing you can tell, I can tell you is that in life, you, you only lose. There's nothing you win. You lose your job. You lose a, uh, uh, your, your girlfriend, your mother, your father, and so on and so on and so on and so on. It goes on. Your hair, your looks. Well, some of us, not, not all of us. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm all right. You know, I'm just saying, you know, you, 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 so when you, when you win a little bit, cherish those wins, those wins. And don't apply too much, especially for the parents out there. Chad never kicked the ball for a whole year. When he got off the field, I pulled him off and I said to him, I said, my boy, I don't think you're a sportsman. He was seven years old, Rachel. So I said, I don't think you're a sportsman. He didn't understand. I put him in my car. I bought him an ice cream. And I said, my boy, you were man of the match today. I swear to God, he knows that. That actually, actually happened. It's not a story. It happened. And, and I've seen, my son has never cried because he never kicked the ball or he missed the race or da, 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 because I told him it's only a race. It's one of those things. You understand? We come in when we hit our horse and we kick our dogs, but we, we in front of that, we, we are right. You know what I mean? So it's, that's the way it should be. It should be like that. It should, especially with, with very young kids, you know? Fantastic. Well, I've got <clears throat> the next question is for Chad, and it's one that I'm sure all the swimmers who are screaming at the screen every time you race. Why do you look on butterfly? So you're going down the pool and everyone's coaches are saying, don't look left, don't look right. And then they watch TV and Chad's doing this the whole time. They go, what is he doing? Does that drive your coach absolutely mad? I think, uh, you know, my, my, my other coaches didn't like it, but my new coach, my English coach, James Gibson, you know, <laughs> the best coach I've ever had. He says, it's okay. <laughs> not something you should do. I'm not encouraging it because it's something that I've done since I was a kid. And it's just, it's just, it's part of my swimming, you know, because I'm always looking underwater anyway. So it's not that I'm, some, some races I don't look like in London, I didn't look that much in the turn of fly. I only looked about three, four times, but I was looking on every underwater. If you watch the last turn, you see, I looked three times left, right, left. So, you know, it's just part of my, it's just part of the way I race, unfortunately. Um, you know, it gives me a bit of motivation, I guess. It slows me down, same, you know, it slows me down 10%, gives me 20% motivation. So you know, 30% motivation, so I'm 10% up, you know what I mean? That's the way I look at it. But you know, it's just, it's all, you know, it just depends on the circumstance. I mean, obviously, you know, some races, if you're next to a guy, you don't have to look too much, but if sometimes I'm lane one and he's in lane four and it's like, you know, it's my, it's my own fault. I swim too slow in the heat, semifinals and heats. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you watch me, I'm in lane one, I'm not doing it on purpose, trust me. I tell you, I'm very upset with this answer. I thought he was going to say he was looking for his dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Jen will be very happy to hear that. That was a question from her. Um, right. The final question I've got from the listeners is from a guy called Martin, another swimmer who will hopefully be joining you at the Commonwealth Games next year. And he said, your technical focus on your underwaters is obviously off the charts. It's always been world leading from as in from when we've watched you, your underwater stands out. So when you were young, obviously, we talk a lot about outcome and process, but obviously you focused on something that wasn't an outcome because underwater kick is just a part of the race. So where did, can you remember when that started for you, focusing on a specific part of the race instead of chasing a time or qualifying or a medal or whatever it was? Well, to be honest, you know, I was, I was, I was very like, um, motivated by a lot of people. So I watched a lot of videos of Michael Phelps and I knew that that was, that was always this thing when I was young, you know? So I remember 2007, I was 15 years old. It was, it was about two years after cheese drinks, 2005. And uh, that's when I started doing some, some jumps. So I just started jumping every day, doing like 50, 60, 100 jumps. 
every day after practice, like star jumps, you know, uh, squat jumps. I don't know what you call them. And uh, star jumps, squat jumps, you know, just, uh, I don't know what kind of technique that was, but I just started doing that because I, I felt like I needed to get stronger in underwaters. And I started practicing underwaters every day after training, just, you know, 25 underwater, 25 easy, 25 underwater, you know, I would just, it was something that I focused on. Because after training. Yeah, because of because of Michael, you see. So it was all driven because of because of what he did. I just wanted to be like him. So it was just me mirroring what he did in in a way that I I thought that that's what he did. You know what I mean? And then obviously when I was training, I would focus heavily on underwaters because I knew that you know that could be a huge advantage. Because at that time, I mean, ten you know ten fifteen years ago, it wasn't the norm to do underwaters like it is kind of today. Like you know, like you see shields, dress on myself. Lochte, all these guys. Like back then, it was really only Phelps, Lochte. I mean, even Laszlo only brought them to play in 20, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015. You know, like it wasn't really a huge focus on swimming. And I always, yeah, I thought that I could have an advantage from early on. And, and that's that's where it kind of started for me. But yeah, I just, I focused on just trying to be better. And, and you know, I always trained hard, obviously, when I was younger. But like the underwaters were a big focus. And, uh, you know, it is a gradual process with that. So, you know, I'm, I'm training with a lot of these young these youngsters that are also going to hopefully be at Commonwealth next year with us. And one of them just qualified to fly with me. Uh, but they're very young and they're trying, to, they're trying to go with me underwater and they're trying to do things that I'm doing. And I'm like, it's very difficult for you to do that because I've been doing this for 15 years, preparing myself for this. You know, yes, you're going to get me some days, of course, but consistently, if you try and do what I'm doing right now, you know, you're going to fall apart in two, three weeks' time with respect. So it's a very, very gradual process. It's a long process. Of know. getting through to that level that I believe that I'm at. And I, I'm hopefully going to get even better with my daughters. You know, I'm going to bring back those, you know, I haven't been doing many squat jumps. I've hurt my groin recent years. So I haven't really been doing much. I don't do much land training. I actually don't do any, to be very honest with you. But uh, I, I still focus heavily on my daughters. Like when I do big sets, all my fly sets, I make sure I go 15 to 18 meters underwater. 18 water. meters. Yeah. So that when I get to the race, it's 15 is natural for me, you know, especially if I'm doing 50s, hundreds, maybe I'll squeak the 15, but like I try and always push the underwaters because, you know, you're training yourself to be in a, in a, in a when you're tired to do those moments, you know, you, you can do it when you, anybody can do it when you're fresh. You've got to be, be able to do it on the last underwaters. So where it counts. Where, yeah, so absolutely. So, Bert, how did you encourage that? Because as a youngster, it's probably very easy to get worried that somebody else is beating you. And you, like you said, when you're young, you're not the fastest. But actually, if you're a young athlete saying, no, I'm going to focus on these skills because in five years, 10 years, it's going to benefit me. What was that like as a parent? And how did you kind of encourage that? Well, you, you won't believe this. But I mean, I just said him, for God's sake, what's wrong with you, man? He's training now. He was the only kid in the water. I swear to living God. He was there, he was there for 15, 20 minutes. And of course, I was there waiting for him, me only. And every other parent, oh, well, oh, there's Jack, he's a mental case. And, and little did I know, because I did, he says, Dad, I need this, you know, to get me better. I said, okay, well, hurry up, get on with it. Because it aggravated me, actually. So it wasn't something I encouraged, please believe me. And you know, even like, like at, at the end of the gala, he would stay behind and, and worn down properly as a young boy. Swear to God, and that business of going under waters and doing turns, he did it 15, 20 minutes most days. Most days. And of course, like I said, it aggravated me in the beginning because I didn't know what the benefit was. Is he the only one doing it? None of the other kids are doing it. You know? So look, it is what it is. And that's good for that's what 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 brought what was brought up now. It's good for the kids that are listening, your kids that are listening, you know, that if they want to if they want to improve. 
That doesn't mean to say they've got to do 100 kilometers a week. I said, but 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 the extra little bit of extra of turns and and, and the, 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 the underwaters and things are going to help them big time. I remember on, I remember on one of our previous seasons, we interviewed a coach who worked with Kobe Bryant when he was a youngster. And he said, why do you think effectively I went on to become the best? Well, because when I was young, I did the basics really well and I never stopped practicing and rehearsing those bits. If it was starting training early or staying in and doing a bit extra. And I find it fascinating when you, and the same with a messy and people like that. And yes. you hear these stories of, oh, they do Ronaldo. extra. But it's, Ronaldo. Ronaldo, he, he stays he stays 25 minutes. He's there an hour before everybody else. And he's training and he's kicking those balls in and he's taking shots. It's known. He says sometimes the last off, he's still there. One hour after training. You know, and, and it, it speaks volumes. At 35, he's still, he's still got 36. He's still going the best in the world. He's still the best in the world as far as I'm concerned, Ronaldo. My man, you're not a supporter, by the way. Do you support before you continue? Soccer, uh, football? I, I have to sit on the fence when it comes to football because I was okay. never a diehard foot. But I did actually interview one of our previous seasons. We had one of the women's Manchester United players and it was really interesting okay. talking about what it was like okay. being in, inside the camp as a player. But um, more okay. on that another time. But okay. um, I get the, the final two things I want to ask is if you could kind of give advice both as a swimmer and as a parent to everybody out there, what would your one message be to everybody? Can I start that? Can I start that? Because I was, I forget, I forget the question. I'm old. A lot of punches to my head. You know, you know, Kev. Um, for me, there's only one thing. I've already said it. The most important thing is not is to be there when you see somebody winning, when you see the top three of the gala. And I'll tell you what. You go and have a look at your next gala. You will see those parents in the, in the stands. The guys that don't make finals don't lose it. The parents are not there. That's number one. Number two, you must support your children, number one. Number two is not to allow them to overtrain. That's, for me, is the biggest plus when they're young. And then when you're 15, 16, that's up to your coaches. That's, that's me. That's, that's what I'll, I'll take it from this, you know, from, from this journey that I've been on. That's, okay. That's and no, I think it's a lot of things, Kev, but I think the thing for me, I'm just thinking about it now, like if I'm talking to, you know, Young, a young boy, young girl, you know, four, 14 to 17 years old type of thing. The, the advice I would give is, you know, find out what you want to do. So is going to Olympics what you want to do? Is winning a medal, winning a gold medal, making the national team for the Commonwealth Games, making your school team, being the captain of your school team. It doesn't matter what you want to achieve, right? It's just find out what you want, okay? And then work towards accordingly. So from a very young age, I wanted to be an Olympic champion. You know, and I, you know, it's easy to say that now from where I'm sitting, but I, I wanted to be the best in the world. And I really, I really believed that I was going to be the best in the world long before that I was even remotely close. So when I was 15 years old, the reason I was doing this underwater is I wasn't doing it for three weeks times competition. I was doing it for 2012, 2016, 2020, 2024, 2028. I was doing it for things in the future. So I'm not saying to everybody that's listening today, uh, let's go do crazy underwaters, you know, tomorrow training, you know, for the next two weeks and then don't do it again. No. What do you want to achieve? I want to go to the Olympics one day. Okay. It's not going to be easy to go to the Olympics. So what do I have to do to do better? My starts in terms are shocking. I'm going to work on my starts in terms. That's just me as a person, Chad. Bert, you've got great closing speed, you know, you got, but you don't have any easy speed. So let's work at sprinting a bit better. 
you know, Kevin, you're really, really great at, uh, you know, your technique and you're so perfect and you're so beautiful the way you song, but you need a bit more chiss, you need a bit more fight in you the last 25. So practice that in training, right? So find out what you want and where you want to go and just go and do it. It's as simple as that. Find a way to do it. Watch YouTube clips, you know, of, of other people. That's what I did. I just learned from other people. I didn't, there's no, there's no magic to it all, you know, and I believed. I, the, tr- the, the truth is I believed in everything that I did. You know, I didn't say it necessarily to the media or to the people, but I, man, I believed I was going to win in 2012. I believed I was going to win in 2016. And I believe I'm going to win in 16 weeks. You know what I'm trying to say? It doesn't mean I'm going to win. doesn't mean any belief. But I believe that. And there's no one that can tell me that I'm not going to go and do that. So find, find out what it is that you want to go and achieve and just go and find a way to do it. Simple as that. When he was, when he was old, there it was, it was a newspaper clipping. Headlines of the back page because I had a bet with a friend of mine and the, the editor of the Sunday Tribune in, in, in South Africa. He, uh, he heard me making a comment because I said, oh, the guy said to me, oh, because Chad's time was 2.55. I'll never forget for the 200 breast, this 12-year-old. And I knew that was, he's going to be much faster than that. And he said, well, the one guy went 2.50. And he said, well, well, Chad's not winning this today. I said, well, you'd like a bet anyway. He says, no, he's not going six, seven, six second BB BP, BP or whatever. I said, well, Put a bet on it, and it was not a bet, but it was just a, a, a playing the fool with a friend of mine. And the editor found out, and he came to me and he said to me, Mr. Vicklow, is your little boy swimming? I heard the commentary. I'm going to interview him after I make him headlines in the newspaper. That headline, I've got it somewhere. And it says, Leclerc says he'll win the 200 breaststroke in London 2012 Olympics. I swear to God. It's a headline which is, we have. It's in the, it's in the archives of that, um, that, that headline of the newspaper, the Sunday newspaper, the back of the sports page. So he didn't do breaststroke of that because he hurt his groin, but he was a very good breaststroker when he was young. Uh, when he went, even went to cheese strings, he only went for the IM and the breaststrokes. And that's what he made the finals of, you know, the four finals. So Fantastic. There's a, there's a couple of things I just want to pick up. Moro's little anecdotes to kind of, follow up on those those thoughts there i remember um meeting graham a couple of times at a conference a few years ago and it was, this was pre-rio and a few people i'd seen afterwards in the coaching world said oh what was he like and i said the belief he has in that boy is you can see it because i remember saying you know how do you think chad's going to go at rio and he went he's going to win and he was so focused yes. and there was so much and you could feel that belief and that was one of the few times that i worked with somebody at that level who absolute convinced that you you could do it and it's that belief and it just shone through and i think the the second thing that jumps out at me before christmas we interviewed have you ever come across the red arrows the the display team uh the fighter oh yes yes yeah i have actually so we interviewed the commanding officer of that and i said have you got any message that you would give to aspiring young people out there and he said don't let anyone tell you you can't do something. Find what you love, follow it with your absolute heart, and you will get there. You'll find a way. And you've just said exactly the same. So I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just something that I've said for years. I said, I tell kids now and parents, nobody will tell you your kid is going to make it. And nobody will tell me that your kid's not going to make it. That is 100%. That's true. That's 100%. A, a coach told my son, this one here, uh, he was seven or eight. He was playing softball at this coach and I didn't sponsor him. I had butcher shops at the time and I never sponsored it. Uh, and she threw the ball at me and he missed it. He said, you're bloody useless. And of course, 
I don't want to tell you what happened after that, but and I'll tell you, that's when I learned. I'd like to, I want, as a matter of fact, I want a few more useless kids like him, you know? And that's what we're starting. We're starting as useless. I mean, what, what nonsense is that? No kid is useless. And that's another thing I'll tell those parents. You know you're useless? Your parents. Parents are useless. No kid is born a thief, drug addict, prostitute, whatever. They're all born with a level playing field. It's how you behave. Don't go to the pub. Go and watch your son training. Go to the pub when, when, he's, when he's at home sleeping. That's all I say. That's a kind of really powerful message to pull it all together. And just really a big thank you because it's been it's been fascinating watching both your journeys. As you said, that 2012, you kind of Bert got thrust into the limelight just as much as Chad did. But, but it's been really cool to just explore that with you over the last like, half hour or so. So thank you so much for your time. Thank Please, you, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. All the best, guys. Thank when you. we're in England, we'll have to catch up. I'll get you buy some fish and chips. I want to see fish and chips in the UK. Well, we'll make sure in Birmingham next year we'll get fish and chips transported oh. to the Commonwealth Games venue specifically for you guys after you finish racing. It'll Thanks, be guys. fantastic. We'll see you at the Commonwealth. We'll buy, we'll buy each other beer if you drink. Fantastic. Cheers. Thank you very much. And whoever's listening, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for choosing us. Cheers. Well, what a wonderful way to round off our seventh season. Thank you again to Bert and Chad there. From a person who's got 39 major championship medals to his name, what a humbling and honest conversation that was. I was fortunate enough to be in London in 2012 watching Chad win one of his Olympic medals, as well as being at the English National Championship sponsored by Cheese Strings back in 2005. So it really was enjoyable to reflect back on it with both Bert and Chad on that conversation. Well that's us done for another season and what a season it's been. We've spoken to Olympians, Paralympians, coaches and educators and it's been wonderful following a great summer of sport to pull these stories together and share them with you. We'll be back in November with plenty more exciting conversations to share with you so make sure you join us for that. Don't forget to give us a quick review on whatever platform you're using and click subscribe so you never miss an up and coming episode. Thanks again for joining us and see you again soon from all the team at the Rogue Monkey Podcast.